0: For that, let's go back to Second Corinthians, and you know when you when you st- I think that when you study something, you become more aware. I don't know that necessarily the, these providential events around you push you to you know, oh, I'm, I'm I'm learning on this, so all of a sudden this happens to me. But I do think when you're studying something, it makes you just more aware and more sensitive to how to respond and how to to handle. Uh, handle yourself in godly way as we walk through second corinthians we're going to perhaps get through the first four verses of chapter two as well today as we wrap up the end of, of chapter one and and paul responding to to criticism responding to the the critics here and we talked about this last time as and we're going to see three things that he does how he first of all we talked about last last week he talked about boasting that's how he starts out this uh, this verse 12, 12 through 24. Our boast is this, and we talked about what it means to boast. It's, it's this confidence. He's describing my confidence is this. Here's my sure foundations. Here's what I trust. Here's what I'm confident in. And he unpacks that in verses 12 through, uh, well, 12 through 14. He mentions that several times. And then he, as a matter of fact, we mentioned last week that um, I think... Twenty something times in Second Corinthians, he talks about boasting and his sure foundation and his uh, foundation in Christ more than any other book of the Bible. So, in the midst of this adversity and criticism, he's being he's being criticized. You know, they have these objections and he's addressing them. And we talked about it last week, and I felt like it was even this week. It, it, it brought back to mind a few things because you know Paul, in the midst of what he's experiencing. He's got these complaints. People are complaining. And one of the things i have complained about that might seem a little trivial, a little trite. they're complaining about the fact that he didn't come to them when he said he would. We talked about that last week and kind of explained some of that. and Putting ourselves in, in Paul's shoes. I mean, I've been traveling. I've been persecuted. I've been all these things. And I'm, I'm suffering for the cause of Christ. And I love you. I'm doing all these things. And, and they're they're questioning all this. And they're they're whine they're, they're complaining. I mean, you didn't come when you said you would, and they're questioning a number of things about why he's doing what he's doing. And something came up this week where parent teacher conference last, last Tuesday, and a parent was expressing some concerns or they're complaining about something, and it wasn't it had to do with the classroom situation. It had to Had to do with the broader picture of what we're doing as a Christian school, we, and it was. Basically the big narrative was, you know, do we love kids enough? And just just kind of throw in that big narrative. you know, I mean you can't really it's not tangible, right? And Fred understands, he's been in my shoes for a number of years, you know, just coming and you know, are we are we loving enough and therefore with our the kids and as I process this, my first my first instinct is to do what? Defend myself. No that was the second (laughs) instinct. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. First thing I did is gave him Fred's number. Talk to Fred. Um, <laughs> you get Just a little further down, I'll talk about the boasting, and I'll, I'll pick back up here just a He redirects this towards Christ. It was just, wow. In, in that moment, I'm thinking, okay, I know how I want to respond. And I pause for a minute and said, I wonder. Is there anything I've been teaching that maybe I could apply, <laughs> apply to my, to myself here, even in, in these circumstances? And just really, we talked about Second Corinthians being one of the most emotional letters Paul writes. And as you read through his letter, he just really, you see, you sense the the love and compassion that just really pours out, and really made me rethink a little bit my disposition towards this family. We had helped them tremendously financially for them to be there. We would we made a spot when there wasn't a spot for their kids. I mean, you know, words you're thinking in your mind. Okay, all these things you're thinking. Really, it's amazing the way people think in the very narrow moment. And you're thinking, after all that we sacrificed for you to be here, and all my teachers sacrificed for you to be here, and they're not even getting the help that you're getting with your kids. I mean, you go and your mind is going through all this. That pause for a moment and think, okay. I didn't do the "what would Jesus do" thing, but I kind of did go back through and says, you know, what can I, what can I gain from from Paul's response? And Paul just could have defended himself, and he answers his critics, but he's not offended after their, after their questions. He responds, "I will love compassion for them," and boy, that just that just really shapes his narrative as to why he responds. Of course, the first part we saw already is that he. He's going to redirect that boasting, which means his confidence is not in himself. He could have said, Hey, I've been, here's, all, here's all my all I've been doing. And, and, and all this to boot, he's got other people in the church while he's gone. You know, basically uh, wooing the rest of the church. And, and he's, he's away being. That's why he, he puts forth the evidence of my faith as the suffering I'm going through for the cause of Christ. So you got these people that are being paid. Uh further I talk about some of the foundation pieces foundational pieces there and here he is. He comes back and he's got to defend his right to speak into their lives against these super apostles he calls them that are that are in the church and all I've done and all i have sacrificed. And he could have gone through that narrative and this he recast that he says, My boast is this. My one sure foundation is Jesus Christ. Even He even affirms his commitment to them, and he affirms his commitment to Christ's work in their lives as well as his. I mean, that's just not the fleshly narrative that we would naturally want to, to put to the test. And so it was interesting that even this week as that came out, thinking, Lord, help me respond in a kind and, and, and gracious and loving way and the reality is we're all but servants of the king and uh, every time we get uh, offended by something it's because we had the expectation that we deserved something more than that and so just just responding that way was, was, was healthy so we talked about last week and here's where we ended with Paul's response we just made a little parenthesis in the legal language that he uses in chapter 1 and then starting today he responds by describing a few things. One, he says he's, he describes a man verse twelve. I'm not going to reread this whole this whole portion here because we're going to read verses one through four in just a minute, as, as time allows us to get there. Verse one though he says for our boast for our boast is this, our confidence is this, our foundation is this, the testimony of our conscience. So he uses this courtroom language that we described here to to affirm the certainty of what he's saying, to affirm the validity of what he's saying, and he describes a few things as it pertains to – a few things we're going to see in his response. One, we're going to say – we're going to see that he's a man with a clear conscience. We're going to see that he's a man of of his word. We're going to see that he's a man committed to them, and that was a beautiful response for him to say, hey, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to your spiritual well-being I'm committed to your spiritual growth It's kind of like when the, you know when your child looks at you and you know you're you're having one of those moments where you you know you don't you either want to hug him or strangle them you know that bear hug gets a little tighter than what it needs to be kind of thing you know and, and he's sitting there and they're they're, they're they're being critical and doing all this and he says what well, hey I, I'm committed to your well-being. I'm committed to your spiritual growth. And then the last part is I, he's a man that is filled with filled with love, and we see how that plays out. Because really this, his argument or his response goes through verse 4 of chapter 2. So look with me in chapter tw- in verse 12, rather, just to walk let's just to walk through this together. He says, let me see. I think yeah, will come to that. So he says in verse 12, let's walk us together. He says, first of all, our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. What is this? That one, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. The first thing he describes is simplicity. What does it mean to be to be simple in the sense that we deal with simplicity is simply the opposite of duplicity. So when he says we deal in verse in verse twelve, we behaved in the world with simplicity, it's the opposite of saying we dealt in a uh, with duplicity, meaning there's no hypocrisy, we're genuine. There's not, we don't have split motives. There's not, there's not a conflict of interest here. It's not me defending, you know, it's not me having my cause, my desires, my interests, and then you over here, and they're, at, they're at odds with each other. When he says we dealt with simplicity, means there's no duplicity in what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then he says he describes godly sincerity, pure motives before the Lord. You know, test you know, my 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 testimony, my conscience is clear. One, there's no conflict between what I desire for myself and what I desire for you. Two, I act out of before God, uh, in godly sincerity, my motives before God are, are pure. Then verse twelve it continues. He says, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. So he describes three things here one, the idea of having uh, the simplicity which is this no duplicity no hypocrisy, we're genuine our, our, our motives are pure before the Lord and does so with no presumption with this he says but by by the grace of God this is possible and we're able to do so there's not a you know, boasting of himself again he's going to deflect over and over again uh, towards Christ but by, the, but by the grace of God I tell you that, that phrase right there but by the grace of God, we should probably put behind or before a lot of things that we say uh, and give God the glory in, in much of this. So he, he describes this towards them. Then he, he describes one of the issues in verse 13. We're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. So there's, there's misunderstandings. He doesn't say, if you had paid attention the first time I wrote to you. If you've been listening the first time I was visiting, if you remember I told you this, I mean there's a lot of ways that we kind of speak to that, right? I encourage people when they're in, whether in the ministry environment or leadership roles, you know, a lesson taught once and not learned. If you've had kids, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, just because you mentioned it once, you think they're going to, oh yeah, I told them that three months ago. You told them yesterday. Uh, make sure that when you get up from the table, you take your plate to the sink. Next time up, did I not tell you? You know, uh, so he he doesn't respond in a way that could have. Listen, I again we're we're talking about uh, the graciousness and the kind. of – I think that's why again like right right to I think that's why when he's talking, he you just sense the emotion. And the compassion, and the love, as is communicating, and you just you just feel that coming out in His Word as you read through it. Which is why when, when we study it, one thing I think that was very I thought very helpful. Tim will share. Says it's one of the Sunday evening lessons, and even when you study a text, you could go to multiple other texts to support this text, but try to understand what he's saying here first. In other words, I want a, us to walk through this and and not spend an hour what it means to have good conscience but understand what he's saying here to these people within this context Paul's desire for them is for them to understand to clear up the misunderstanding he says you, you partially understood us and then he is confident he finishes that first section in verse 14 that he's confident that on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ you will boast of us and we will boast of you now he's expressing a confidence that they're not confident about at that point right so our confidence is in you in what? And that in the day of our Lord, you will find your confidence in, in uh, that you will boast of us as we will boast of you together. He is confident that they will be confident in the work of Christ in each other's lives. I'm confident that the Lord is doing the work in your life. And I I put that in my notes, as even as a parenthesis, you know, when is the last time I down, when is the last time I thought of that as I'm having a... <clears throat> I'm the recipient of a complaint or grief from another believer in his mind saying you know, I'm confident of the Lord's work in your life that he will fulfill his purposes in your life as well Now, usually at that moment in time we're not we're not quite thinking that way we're thinking we're going to settle a few scores first and and trust the Lord later, but he, he casts it in a much broader narrative. In other words, it's, it's almost like saying, listen, I know, what, I know what we're experiencing right here and now. But let me tell you, in the day of the Lord, I'm confident that what the Lord is doing in our lives and what he's doing in, in your life. And that's just a beautiful picture that he he picture, He gives here. He is confident of the work of Christ in in them. So he has a clear conscience. His focus is uh, on them and the Lord's work in their life. Uh Of course, that's just part of of him recasting his narrative um, or responding to their concerns. The second one is he demanded his word, and we talked a little bit about that when we talked about last week when he says you're yea and and nay. Basically, he was describing – that's why in verse – so let's begin to look at verse 15. We know that originally Paul had written, and his plan was to go from Asia, Macedonia, uh, Achaia, and then Judea, but – after writing 1 Corinthians, it was necessary to have a what he calls an unscheduled, painful visit to Corinth, during, during which his plans had changed. And I'm not going to focus a lot on that. It's not that significant really here for us right now. But what we see is the church saw Paul's change of plans, and they saw it as a sign that he was a fickle person. In verse 17, he answers that question. He said, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? In other words, they're saying, you're, you're vacillating, you're, you're fickle. You told us this, but and you're going back and forth and you're not I, we can't trust you we not and of course he's thinking you know again he's, he's thinking what i'm going through and you're you're worried about me vacillating and he answers graciously their concern he says why he says i'm a man of my word uh and there are a number of reasons why paul was not able to return to them as planned but we're saying that indecisiveness lack of commitment uh not being a man of my word is is not one of those you know uh, the reason why they're asking that question is why. They're asking that question because they have their own selfish desires. They're self-centered. Uh, and uh, they're really, they're unkind in how they respond to him. So I say it because you know, when, when someone's critical to us, they're not going to necessarily be critical or complain in a gracious and kind and humble manner. That would be a little bit easier. No, really, I really love you guys. You do such a wonderful job. I know you love my kids. I just have this one little question here that I'm not sure about... No, that's not usually how it happens. Usually they walk in, self-centered, self-focused. It's me and my and this and that. And they have no other concern in the world than what's going on. And, and that's the only thing they're preoccupied with. And Paul just says, listen, I'm a man of my word. But things happened that prevented me from coming as planned. Actually, he shows them a little bit later the God's providential hand in that. Because he says a little bit later, if I would have come, I would have realized that would have been... A painful, he told the other painful, another painful visit. But in the meantime, between that time and the time that he actually was able to come, a number of them had repented. And he talked about the shared joy later. So there, God providentially, in other words, okay, my plans were this. God providentially did not allow me to do that. You need to trust the Lord in that. I need to trust the Lord in that. And But our confidence, he goes, is what? Our confidence, he describes it here through these verses, verse 15 because he says because i was sure of this i wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace we talk about him having being graced uh, gracing them with a second experience or a second visit rather because, But what paul's going to outline here in verses 15 all the way through the end of this chapter he said my my confidence is this is that though my plans have changed the my desires with is god's god's plan has not changed and God will fulfill His purposes sovereignly through His plan. In other words, you and I, you and I make our plans, and we we should. I mean, hopefully, you don't go around aimlessly wandering. Hey, I'm just going to go through life and hope for the best. Rely on God's sovereignty, so That means I'm, I'm in the lazy boy chair, and God's directing me here. Uh, no, He's He's serving God faithfully, sacrificially. But what He points back to. To end this section of the chapter, is he focuses their eyes not on him, not on my plans, what my desires were, though he tries to answer that for them, but he tries to reassure them of what? All the promises of God find why. He says they're yes in him. God will fulfill everything he's promised to fulfill, and that's what really matters. Now, today you're frustrated because I didn't come when I said I would. I get that. And here's what happened. I'm not you can count on me, I'm not, you know, fickle, but ultimately. Jesus Christ is the yes to every promise, and he's the fulfillment of every promises. Verse verse 20, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So he said, I call, verse twenty. I call God to witness against me. It was not to spare you, I'm sorry, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So he he reaffirms, listen, the Lord's gonna fulfill his purposes. You know, if I didn't come when I did, he could have, verse 23, I, you know, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming at that moment in time. You were unrepentant, I mean, it was grieving what I was hearing, what I was seeing. The report wasn't good. If I would have come then, it would have been good for you. It would have been good for me. The issue at heart that he presents here and how he unpacks it is that Paul, and the lesson I guess learned for me as I even pull from here is Paul does not respond trying to affirm to people that they can trust him, that he can trust Christ. I mean, you walk away and say, Listen, I'm faithfully serving and doing what God's called me to do, but yes, I wanted to do this, but it happened, I couldn't do it. And you know, ultimately, it was good it didn't come because it wouldn't have been good. But God trust the Lord that He will fulfill and complete His purposes. That's that's our anchor. That's what we boast in. That's our foundation. That's why He He lays before them. And I think that's... Uh, a beautiful picture that he gives to them, and he finishes a powerful statement in verse twenty-four to describe that he's a man that is that is committed to them. Look at verse twenty-four with me and put down here one of the signs of him serving their best interests. Again, he's, if he's making this statement, is because ultimately they they have concerns about it. You know, in other words, they've got these other men who are who are drawing their attention for their own purposes to gain wealth from them to gain influence for them to have power over them so he's responding to them what what are the things in this verse 24 let me read it and then look at the i put down four four things that are indicative of the fact that he's a man committed to them verse 24 he says not that we lord it over your faith but we work with you for your joy for you stand firm in your faith what are some of the things in that one verse that he completes his thought here now he finishes his his explanation his questions in the first four verses we'll read that in just a second but what are some things that we draw even his statement here that indicative of the fact that he's a man committed to you what do we see first part of the verse what does he say if he said, I'm not doing this, if you got someone claiming that he is. What's the first thing he says in that verse? I know you got a whole bunch of PhDs out here, so come on. Get that analytical mind. What does it say? I don't what? I don't lord over you. Paul, from all much that we know, was a very unassuming person. Just didn't have a very imposing traits, and you know, and very uh, glamorous and powerful speech. And he describes a number of places. So you must be thinking, I mean, I'm not here, what, lording over you? It's easy to get in a position of authority, and I know it sounds strong to say you're lording over. it. But basically, it's easy to be in a position of authority and start. Exerting authority over. He says what? A few things just breaking down. I said, first of all, he says, not that we lord it over your faith. So he says he, he works humbly, he works humbly towards them. Two, he says, We work what? With you. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not lording over you. I know I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, but I mean, we're working with you. We're we're together on this. I think I think it's so vital in any, any area, any level of ministry for us to be able to say, hey, you know, you and I, we're, we're working together on this. If, if God's giving me a responsibility to, to prep the Word and to, and to share the Word, it's not because there's not anybody else. I mean, I know there's many more people, and every Sunday morning, if I get a chance to preach on Sunday morning, Jane says she gets nervous when I a cup of coffee, so I'm going to put it down. She gets nervous when I walk around with my cup of coffee. <laughs> I, every time you go up on Sunday morning and preach, you know there are a bunch of people out there that are much more qualified than you are. Mm-hmm. And that's intimidating. In the flesh. Now I'll tell you why. In France, it, we never felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> Not because they're French. Wait a minute. Not because they're French. I'd say amen. <laughs> you would. but Because when you're doing church plant missionary work, I told somebody, I said, I feel like I taught kindergarten all my life. Because you're you're taking young, young people in the faith, first-generation believers, and you're just teaching them the ABCs of faith, what it means to to confess, pray, and just watch that. It's beautiful to see. But because of that, you're in an environment, constant environment, where people are just really just newbies in the faith, right? Yes, you come here, and you have a lot of people that are super smart and qualified, and they write books, and they do a whole bunch of other stuff, and you're sitting there... If it wasn't for the fact that you could just sit there before the Lord and says, "You know, we're, we're here unassumingly by the grace of God, I'll open God's word and, and share it. And you know, then you always have good friends like Mark over here. <laughs> Mark, right before I preach. Hey, no pressure. you got big shoes to feel. <laughs> really? <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Okay. I'm saying that the, the spirit really is. Hey, we're, we are serving the master together. He describes it here by saying, "Hey, not that we lord with faith, but we work with you for what purpose? For your joy. For your joy. That can that can that can somewhat be lost. Let me get the last point here and come back. That, that can certainly be lost because you can start ministering for your joy. You can start doing things for your joy and when you lose satisfaction is it because your joy is not satisfied or you don't like their joy satisfied and that can certainly if that, if that spirit of, of, of the grace of the Lord is not embedded in, in what you're doing. Then the last one he says he worked for what? For the strengthening of their faith. So for you stand firm in your faith. In other words we're serving humbly not with you, not the Lord anything over you, and we're doing it for your joy and for the strengthening of your faith. What a, That should be the, the testimony of, of anyone that is, is there to serve the Lord in and, and whatever capacity, and, and, and Paul does a great job in demonstrating this. So we've got time slipping by. Let's read the first four verses, chapter 2, because he, he describes here – and I, I want us to be able to, to, to end on that thought – Chapter 2, he says, For I made up my mind, so he's con- he's continuing with his thoughts here, right? For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. I already had one. For if I called you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you, verse 4, out of much affliction, much anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. I mean, he he lays it all out on the line, right? You know, it takes... We're sharing with a, with a, with a couple recently... How loving makes you vulnerable. you can't love and guard yourself. When you love, you open yourself up to, to being hurt. And Paul is, is opening himself, himself up here and just describing the, the abundance of love that they have for him. And the, the last point simply, as we see a, a man filled with love, first is you know the fact that sometimes love does cause pain. think there's there are two things here that sometimes we might find contradictory yet they're not you know loving someone or causing them pain but sometimes love causes pain uh he had rebuked them uh for for their sins some had sided with the false teachers others were unrepentant but he 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 lays it out and, and listen, every one of us has to check our own hearts, and he, he finishes with this strong statement. Of, every one of us has to check our own hearts whenever we're, we're addressing uh, or respond to, to a complaint, as he was. And, and part of that is you know, I had to say harsh things to them. I had to say difficult things for them, but was it because I was mad at them for not following me, because they were listening to me, because I wasn't validated or approved? Or just, no, he, he, he lays it all out there. He says, listen, I know I've called you pain. But he didn't cause them pain because he wished to. He, he grieves that he did. He grieves that he did. But yet, guilt and conviction are, are painful necessities. And Paul clearly demonstrates to them that he loves them in spite of the fact that he had to write a painful letter to them. Of course, as you raise children, my admonition there is that you know sometimes we're, 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 we do the same thing with our kids. We have to, we have to say hard things to them. Sometimes that are painful things, but we say them out of love. And I, what I put down somewhere else here is that, you know, whether it be exhortation or rebuke, love should be the driving force behind it. Whether you're exhorting or rebuking, love should be the driving force behind behind why you're doing what you're doing. Put down simply here in verse 1 and 2 describes that. And then verse 3 loves hopes for the best. I mean, I. I, I wish, he goes verse 3, he says, and I wrote as I did. Why? So that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. In other words, I, I wrote knowing it was painful. He finishes, you know, the motivation behind it, he, 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 he anchors that well at the end here. But why? I desire that, yes... So that I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. He he describes my desire, my hope for you was what was best for you. It wasn't out of personal desire, personal ambition, or or anything else. And then we see how love is the motivation in verse four. Sometimes we confront people for the wrong reasons. What would those be? Why? Why do we confront people at, at times? What some of the wrong reasons look like when you confront someone? We don't like what they're doing. And we want to make sure they know we don't like what they're doing. <laughs> to prove to prove our point. To they, pr- accuse us they accuse us falsely, and the narrative here is clear, right? Paul's falsely accused. I mean, he, he has the right to be indignant, we would think, to, to answer his accusers. But the, the way he responds is, is a model for how we should be also responding, not just those in ministry who respond to, to that, but just as, as we do when we're facing criticism. So yeah, he's unjustly accused. We have our own agenda. <laughs> we have our own agenda. That's why he, previously he says what? Hey, I, this is for your joy, for your strength. I'm doing this for you. Now listen, Paul's a man of flesh. He's not angelic being. He's got his own flesh. And he had to battle his own flesh and thoughts on this. Which is why he's writing them out. Which is why he's so thoughtful about it. Which is why he's so careful about it. Don't think, oh well, Paul's a super human over here that expresses himself. And he he battled with the same thoughts I'm gonna battle. And yet he, he lays it out there. And my encouragement for myself in reading through this is just, wow, how do I, not just how do I respond, but how do I trust, trust the Lord in that? And I see it in, in him, in his response, right, Paul confronted them because he wanted them to be faithful followers of Christ. I mean, in other words, if, you're, if I've got to respond to someone, it's because I want them to be grounded, that they can boast and find their confidence in Christ. He responds to them because he wants them to be faithful followers of Christ. He confronts them because he wants them to, to thrive spiritually, to be strengthened spiritually. He found no joy in rebuking them. Some people are more confrontational than others. I think some people kind of enjoy the confrontation, they enjoy the rub. You know somebody like that in your family, maybe, who kind of likes to poke around at, at you know? Confrontation is necessary, but. He found no joy. He made it clear, I found no joy in rebuking you and writing a a painful letter. But he found joy in the repentance that was followed. He found joy in in, in their hearts that were changed. That's where he – so even though I had to go through this painful aspect, I did so because of the joy that is found in, in your repentance. So the correct motivation for, for us of course is we might find ourselves and we will find ourselves in, in the same similar similar situations but the correct motivation is for me is, is I, am I acting out out of heart of love am I exhorting out of love not flattery or who knows what else am I rebuking out of love and ultimately so that God will Christ will fulfill his purposes in their lives so he he concludes his thoughts here, and he describes, "Hey, this this was much, with much sadness. I think some of you here would probably, you know, describe. Yes, in the moment, your child disobeys you for the fifth time, and they break that special item that you, you know, you didn't proof your, you because know, we didn't believe in childproofing our, you know, those special items. We didn't believe in that, but there was a few things where, in doubt, I can still put it away, you know." And there are times when we respond the way, like we, yeah we feel the we feel the tense the tenseness there. Boy, to back off, say Lord, we want to act and be driven not out of frustration, not out of anger, but out of love. And his his and look at look at this how he described it, right? I wrote out I wrote to you out of much affliction, much anguish of heart, and with many tears as I wrote this letter to you. Oh, it was a painful letter to write. I cried as I wrote this letter. Because I have such an abundant love for you. But I did it because I, out of necessity, I desire for your joy to be fulfilled in Christ. He clearly demonstrates such a beautiful shepherd's heart in, in his letter here. So, my own motivation in the, even in reading through this is how do I respond I respond? To others when they sin against me or they bring accusations against me do I begin to pray for them they'll, if I don't have the right love for them that I pray the Lord give me the compassion and love for them and may I come back and meet I thought, I thought of a number of times where you know I'm glad I didn't meet that person right away because if I had met with them that day my response would not have been the godly gracious response it needed to be but now a week later, I thought it through. The Lord's worked in my heart. Now we're ready to meet, and now my heart is totally turned in different directions. No longer just to defend myself, is to say, you know, how can we help you? What's going on here? And, and try to approach it in the, in a much different way. This the family had the criticism. I got an appointment with them this Wednesday to talk to them. But I guarantee you, my heart towards them now is different than my heart than what my heart was Tuesday night when I first heard of some of the things they were saying. And I want to say, I could fix that right away. Now, days later, the Lord beating up on me a little bit. And uh, now, Wednesday, when Wednesday comes around, I'll be ready to sit down and have a constructive conversation, encouraging them and encouraging each other in the because I know they're believers and they serve the Lord as well. So, trusting the Lord in that. And you'll have the opportunity to use these truths as well. So... Perhaps you'll have an opportunity to, to share that with us at a later time. So wonderful seeing everybody today and just closing word of prayer. <coughs> Father, we are we here, Lord, to serve you. What I my desires and and my reputation and, and all these other things that sometimes seem so dear to us in reality, Lord, it's I want to boast of one thing and that's about you. Lord, I thank you for Paul's emotional plea. In the world, where so often we dissect things in a very systematic way. We just see his heart poured out to the believers here. Lord, may may our heart be the same towards those who would accuse us. And as our fellow believers, that we would love them, that we would act towards them in a way that would be for their joy in christ and for their strengthening in the word so i thank you for our time together i pray this word might just be applied to our hearts bless the remainder of our day the fellowship lunch a little bit later we commit all this to you lord in your name we pray amen